Hi, I'm Sarah Story and welcome to Backstory. This is my podcast where I catch up with DJs, producers, broadcasters, singers and songwriters to talk about their careers, how they've adapted to the new world that we found ourselves in, their new projects and of course, their backstory. The live music industry is taking such a hit from COVID and over the last 14 months we've seen so many people lose their jobs, festivals being cancelled, nearly every single DJ was out of work and the artists who were supposed to have their year had that taken away from them. But we have the power of the internet, music and podcasts and so we can still listen and connect to the people that we love. This month's guest is Absolute. He's a DJ and producer and has just released his album Wonderland. He's graced the cover of Mix Mag earlier this year and is set to have the year of his life. Here's what happened when we caught up. How are things? Because at the moment, it's kicking off for you. It's, do you know what? It's all of a sudden gone mental. Like, I feel like every single day mm. I've got stuff on now for the next month or so. Um, and they're all yeah. kind of big things that I want to make sure that I do a good job on. So I'm just trying to keep up and stay focused. And I'm just really, really excited to actually be in this position after what feels like a lifetime of slogging. Uh, it feels like, yeah, things are kind of breaking through now. And I just want to be able to get out there and, you know, just get amongst it all. And do your thing. Yeah. yeah. For anyone who might not be familiar with you, you are a DJ you're a producer, you're a live artist, you're about to do your first live show in Islington on the 19th of June. How are you feeling about that live show? Because it's your first one. I'm really excited. I'm nervous a little bit because it's something completely new. Like I know I can just go and smash a DJ set. You know, I don't even really have to think about it too much mm-hmm. now. I just can know I'm just going to do a good job. But this is something completely yeah. different. I've got my Roland, like Jupiter X, Big Synth, I've got drum machines got controllers and I've got the Ableton push kind of where everything kind of runs through so there's a lot going on I just mm-hmm. want to make sure that I can still bring the energy you know I want to be present oh you'll be bringing the energy <laughs> you will be but I know what you mean because you like to dance around a lot when you're doing your sets and and I suppose you've got a lot to think about right yeah so it's just trying to get that balance of you know doing enough but also, you know, being able to present the songs in a way that people recognise and that, you know, it's going to just be a big celebration, that one, of, of the album, I think. That's kind of the main yeah, yeah. the main focus. And on the night, who have you got supporting? Ooh, well, yeah, I haven't actually mentioned this yet, but i um, got Dance System. Are we allowed to talk about uh, it? Yeah, I think oh, so. Oh, OK, we're allowed yeah, to talk well, about it. Yeah, well, it's like, ooh, too late. <laughs> 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 we're doing it now. Um, yeah, we've got Dance System. Um, and then we've got yeah. a little cheeky back to back to back with um, it's all just mates basically. I've just got all, all friends. Yeah. Um, so we've got Lala, we've got Jaguar, Amazing. and we've got Prosper <sighs> and Dance System. So, what a line! Yeah. So it will be fun, um, and they're all just like you know they're all good mates. So it will, it's just going to be a celebration. So it's going to be all of those four back to back. Well, I think there's definitely going to be a triple back-to-back. I don't know if um, Dance System's going to go on his own yet or, or yeah, okay. we haven't got, like, exact... Is Dance System being a bit of a diva about, is he like, I've got my own moment? <laughs> yeah, he's such a diva. He's like... The... <laughs> what a no, diva. I mean, I'm just kidding. No, he's not. I haven't even floated that idea. He, he loves a back-to-back anyway. He loves collaborating, so... <laughs> <laughs> you should do a back-to-back with him. That would be fun. We'd just play loads of old raves. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, like, fine by me. <laughs> Yeah, I'm up for that. So let's talk about lockdown because just before we went into lockdown last March, you did the Lab London and that was, was that your final kind of gig? 
before we went into lockdown. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was the last thing, and it was. I think it was also the last lab where they have they had people there. So, I've, I feel mm. so lucky to have done that with a crowd because yeah, I just had such an amazing like group of people there. Like the energy was like. I mean, it's the the most energetic lab in terms of like crowd that I've ever ever seen or been to. So. I just mm. feel really, yeah, just, it's really special that I got to do that before everything kind of kicked, you know, got, got yeah, kicked to the curb. It was at the time when things were starting to, I felt like, you know, things were starting to kick off. Just done the lab, yeah. um, String Theory had just been, Pete Song's Essential New Tune, Annie was playing mm-hmm. it all the time. It was on Radio 1 every week. And um, yeah, then I did the lab and I was like, okay, cool. Things are, you know, heating up. And then obviously COVID had other ideas. <sighs> so frustrating but in lockdown you really kind of kind of knuckled down and just started making loads of music so you uh you did workshops creative workshops with mike monday and you made tracks every day for two weeks is that right yeah so basically i i was just really deflated when we first went into lockdown because it was just like cool oh yeah i was also just about to go on a uk tour with 808 state as well like that weekend um so i was just like amazing and then the weekend we went into lockdown. Yeah, so it was just like, you know, the bags were packed. Wow. I was like ready to just like, all guns blazing, ready to go. Um, yeah. But then, yeah, so obviously, you know, that all happened. Felt like to creatively deflated, as I'm sure like, you know, mm-hmm. most people did at that point. But I kind of, yeah, instead of just wallowing, I was like, okay, right, what can I do to kind of bring it back? So I did this idea generation course from Mike Monday, which I would massively recommend for any sort of, producers out there and and mm-hmm. yeah so you is it for beginners or do you have to be kind of established you know what you're doing producer? yeah no I think you can do it for beginners as well I mean you basically you pick out you pick out five um like say five instruments that you like working with so it could be like yeah drum machine bass but also could you know could you mm-hmm. you could do the same thing if you were writing vocals or you know so songwriters right. or guitarists and anyone could kind of do it in, in this sort of same theory and basically you just write um without kind of thinking about the outcome so you just kind of get into a creative flow you're not you know you're not thinking shit who's going to play this am i going to play be able to play this at the end of the night somewhere you know is this going to be on the radio you just kind of let go of everything and just just write and you just get into creative mode and then it just kind of really worked for me and i ended up yeah writing in like i think it was less than two weeks and i wrote about 100 track demos which is just insane amount it's like the highest amount of that i've ever written a hundred tracks you you must have been doing it every day yes yeah yeah so you you do it every way every day and by the end of it you was kind of i was down to like writing like core tracks in about 15 minutes because you're just like in a flow um and it's not like you know it's not like a full arrangement what you would then do is like you then kind of get a rough arrangement ready and then you're supposed to not listen back for a week which is like the, probably the hardest part of it because obviously as soon as you made a track you're desperate to you know keep listening to it and trying to work out what yeah. you want to do next but yeah the idea is that you just don't listen for a week you give it a rest and then when you do go back you're there with fresh mm-hmm. ears you, you're supposed to like actively listen to it and then you kind of make the call on if you want to sort of bank it or if you want to work more on it or if you want to take it forward uh, and it just yeah and then th- through that that kind of became the sort of seed to the Wonderland album so kind of because I'd just written this big body of work. Um, in fact, though, I only ended up, because I just kept writing throughout lockdown, lockdown after that, I actually only ended up using one mm-hmm. track from that on the right, album. Okay. But um, it was, yeah, it was the starting point for me to just kind of think, okay, well, I may as well write a big body of work while I'm here. 
Yeah. And I suppose that what you got out of those hundred tracks, you've probably learned so much. And will these tracks see the light of day? Will you give them to all the producers? Like, what are you thinking about doing with Yeah, them? there's definitely a lot of potential in, in a, a lot of the tracks there, for sure. Um, and also, yeah. because we were kind of in lockdown and clubs were shut, they were they were kind of just like spanning genres. Um, I know I write quite a lot of genres anyway, but like not necessarily just for the dance floor. Some of them were really sort of mm-hmm. really emotive and maybe a bit more down tempo. Um, stuff that mm-hmm. yeah other sort of vocalists or songwriters would you know could could collaborate on so there's definitely some a, a really big bank of stuff to kind of dig into I think it's amazing that you did a hundred tracks in two weeks like some people would spend two weeks on one track yeah I mean yeah it's I, I always find though like the best I, tracks, I know they're not finished ideas yeah. but still yeah the best tracks I always find like do come out the quickest but with the, with those ideas, yeah. yeah. Then what you then do is you kind of go through them again, and then the finessing part and kind of just getting everything sounding exactly how you want it. That kind of for me is what takes the longest. And the time. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just kind of tweaking every little sound so that you know you want everything kind of slots in together and it's all in like a nice space and like you've got all the effects that you want on it and all of that. Yeah. Are you someone that spends a lot of time thinking about that? Do you kind of? I don't know, a lot of people can get quite um, precious about releasing stuff and it's right and overthinking it. Are you kind of, do you go with your gut and you know if it's right or do you like hold back for a, for six months? Like how how do you feel about stuff when, you, when you're about to like make the decision about releasing it? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, sitting with it for a while, it is good because you can kind of, you know, you, you get a better idea on it because as soon as you write something, you kind of go through this like, it's a bit of a roller coaster. you'll be like, okay this is fucking amazing I love it this is gonna be my next mm-hmm. single then the next you send it to loads of people then the next morning you're like what the fuck is this like why have I sent it to anyone <laughs> yeah so it is good to sit with it it's good to get feedback from people um that you trust um like I mean I send mm-hmm. stuff like the first person I send stuff to is my manager once I've written a demo and then he's got a great mm-hmm. ear so between us usually we'll kind of A&R stuff that might see the light of day um, but in terms of kind of mm-hmm. getting it to that point, I now kind of have a set of things that I just do to, to track. So like there's a certain EQ that I'll just kind of whack on everything. It kind of feels like I just flow through that now just because I've done it so much. Um, but yeah, yeah it's, I guess yeah. just, I mean, the, the process of just finishing as much music as possible. When you do that, you kind of then just like learn all the things that you need to do quite instinctively. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a bit more about Wonderland because there is a bit of backstory into your, the name for the album so tell everyone a bit more about that yeah so like during I mean I, I wrote the album during lockdown um we were mm-hmm. obviously all just stuck in one spot I was feeling really drawn to just like euphoric rave and, and hardcore namely because we were just you know we were so trapped and it's just like just desperate to just feel some sort of pure joy and euphoria again or just to mm-hmm. feel connected to something bigger again um, and it was and it was at a point where I was it was like over a couple of months where I was I was literally only writing like 150 to 170 BPM, just like high energy, pure rave. Mm-hmm. Um, and during that time, I discovered that the building that I was locked in and writing all this music from was 
the same building that used to, 30 years earlier. Uh, it was a special rave called Wonderland Arena where Carl Cox and Frankie Knuckles and the Prodigy would all be playing. And it was just like this, just hearing that this, yeah, the four walls that I'd been kind of making this from was used, was the exact location that 30 years before was like the heyday of rave. It was almost like, it was like seeping through the walls and I was like getting to reinterpret it for like a new generation. How amazing is that? Like, that is just, the universe works in really mysterious ways. And I think how perfect. And I think the, the name Wonderland is amazing and where it's come from and you making music in that building. And even the word Wonderland with all the artwork and, you know, the, like the um, you know, fluorescent colour, I just think it all marries so well. And yeah, I just love that story i love that that's where you live yeah it's insane <laughs> it was yeah definitely it felt like okay the universe is giving me you know giving me a sign i'm doing something right this is this is what i should be doing yeah it's brilliant it's brilliant and i love the album i think it's amazing i've like i've i've just done a mix actually and put one of the tracks in it that raw silk remix you know i love oh, yeah. I absolutely love that tune <laughs> and obviously um good as gold oh yes yeah 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 Love that tune. Because when I first it was sent to me, I was like, obviously it's in French. And I was like, how the fuck am I going to say this on there? And then you were like, just say good as gold. I was like, cool. That's all right. I can do can that. Yeah. That. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, it's been amazing. I've just because, and I, yeah, I, the whole album, I think that like, you can put it on in lockdown or wherever you are. And like, you know, it's kind of like an instant rave from start to finish, like yeah. the build up of the night. And... and it takes you on lots of different journeys. Because there's like, there's the bit chill, the interludes and the chill tunes and then there's the really heavy tunes and it's just really kind of, I feel like you're going on a bit of a night out with it. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Yeah, it's a full, it's yeah. a full journey. Because yeah, there is a lot going on, but it does work, I think. And there's like the interludes that kind of oh, like yeah. take you out somewhere else. So you're kind of, there's like live recordings from outside, from in, in fields in UK raves in the 90s or outside Studio yeah. 54 or outside these like underground queer parties in New York right it's kind of it was the idea was that it yeah kind of just gives you a bit of relief and just like takes you out of where you are and puts you into this space where just for a minute you can just kind of feel free or just liberated or you know just happy again (laughs) yeah it's wicked well whoever's listening to this podcast right now after we finish the podcast go and stream absolute wonderland it is brilliant okay so we need to talk about your backstory this is what the podcast is called um so give me a bit of your backstory what was life like before you became a dj and producer like where did you grow up where did you study what did you dream of being when you were a kid uh, so i grew up in torquay in in devon which is um yeah which is a gorgeous like seaside town basically so it was like mm-hmm. beautiful place to grow up like i'd just be on my bike or just on my skates every day so in that sense, it was great. And then I was always just obsessed with dance music when I was a kid. So I think I remember mm-hmm. the fir- one of the first dance tracks that really kind of g- grabbed me. I was It was like Torbay Carnival. There was all these, it was like a parade. So there's all these like floats going past with all like decorated. And then there's this like troop of majorettes coming through. Which is like, obviously I probably would have been excited by that anyway, just because it's like, it's so camp. <laughs> but then... You were dying to do a little high kick in there, weren't you? Like, come oh, on. I was definitely desperate to join them, <laughs> yeah. And then blasting through the speakers was um, theme from S-Express by S-Express. And I was just like, this, this rush of energy. And I was just like, what the fuck is this? I've never felt like this before. And it was just like, you know, just peak, mm-hmm. just like 
just I was just like, wow, what the fuck is this? So from there, I was kind of, yeah, just like hooked. Uh, and then I would be listening to rave cassettes when I was at primary school. Um, mm-hmm. And then when I was about 13, my dad gave me some money to buy some school clothes. And then I realised that I actually just had enough money to buy one record deck. So I like <laughs> haggled. How expensive were your school clothes? <laughs> what were you wearing? Uh, I just had some, just really needed some like Balenciaga shoes. So um, no, just <laughs> I had to do some haggling. I had to do some haggling. And then, um, yeah, basically, so then I, I bought one record deck because I'd already been buying vinyl. Yeah. I think I'd been like collecting bits of vinyl, but didn't really have anything to play it on properly. And um, so that kind of, once I did that, it just spurred me on even more. My dad was furious. But I would, um, right. and then I would just listen to Pete Tong on the radio and then like beat match to his radio show because I only had one deck. So I would just be like trying to beat match. And that's kind of how I how learned, learned starting to beat match. Uh, and then I guess from there, there's, there was a club in Torquay called The Monastery, which is like it opened at 12 o'clock at night, shut at 6 a.m. in the morning. In a, it was literally in a converted church. Like the DJ booth was where the altar used to be. And um it was the first proper club I went to. When I went in, people were in there with like furry leg warmers, white gloves, like spiky neon tips in their hair. It was like <laughs> and it was and it was like sort of like hard house revolution time when it was like, yeah, peak like hardcore techno trance. It was like really hard and fast and I was just kind of really blown away by it by it all um and it was also where i met one of my very first best friends um a person that i was with thought that kylie was was there at this club and i was like and it it was maybe a little bit wavy and i was like we're literally in Torquay in a converted church there's absolutely no fucking way kylie's here you have these moments i went to hideout a few years ago and my friends were convinced that will smith was coming to hideout i was like why could Will Smith be coming to hideout? But we were like, we were preparing and like doing routines and stuff. And I'm like, he is he's not coming back. So <laughs> I, I can, I, I can get, I can get what you mean. So you thought Kylie Minogue was in Torquay? Yeah. In this. Well, country. I mean, my friend, my right. friend did. <laughs> I was like, right, voice yeah. of reason, slightly. But then I was like, okay, fuck it, let's go over and see. So then we go over and and see, and it obviously it wasn't Kylie, but it was like now, um, it's like one of my best friends, Ellie, that we kind of met on this dance floor in the middle of Torquay when yeah. it's like, yeah, and just it just kind of really showed me that, you know, these spaces and these dance floors, like you find like friends for life and like your family on these places. Yeah, like the dance floor is the best place because I feel like it's the only place really for me where you feel like you can meet anyone from any background from any generation and you're all equal like you're all there for one thing to dance and have a good time and you that's where I've met the most fun inspiring entertaining people I've met all my best friends that like I hang out with all the time now as like a you know as a as an adult (laughs) I don't really feel like an adult um on the dance floor partying and it's so true and it's great that's where you make your connections yeah it? it's magic and um, so in that kind of what while i was at that club i met um a dj called steve thomas who was also he was a resident uh fabric in london at the time uh, a party called dtpm mm. which is a queer party that they used okay. to have uh, and fabric on it every week on a sunday so he yeah. invited me up to london to go and see him play and it was the first time that i went to a queer club that 
people were and it was they were playing there was playing decent like underground music so that was that was one first and then the other first was it was the first time i'd heard people like properly cheering for music in a club and it just like Mm -hmm. it just gave me the most incredible goosebumps it was just like yeah i was there was all these things happening like first queer experience in a decent club then all this cheering this euphoria it's like it was just a real wow moment for me so then it was like okay i need to move to london and you know and how old were you when you moved to London? So it was a, I was about 24 when I f- finally moved to London. Yeah, it took me a couple of years to actually like... Do you know what? Did you find it quite intimidating and quite scary to move to London? Because I did. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was, it was always something that I knew that I wanted to do and that, you know, I wanted to do. I feel like because I, where I grew up, it was quite a small town and I just kind of knew everybody, like had so many friends and... You know, you can't. You would just walk down the, the high street, and you'd just be like, you'd bump into like twenty people or whatever. And it's like kind of sometimes it's like had just kind of enough to keep you, but not enough to fulfil you. So it was definitely like a leap yeah. to just you know put yourself out there. But I mean, in life, I mean, you've always got to take these leaps. Like every time I've taken one of these leaps, you know, the the payoff has always been incredible. As scary as it is at the time, but it's almost like when you call, say to the universe. I'm ready, I'm moving forward, let's do it. I'm going to put myself out there. It's That's the time when, you know, things sort of happen for the best. Definitely, like making yourself feel uncomfortable is the best thing to do. You get yourself out of your comfort zone and you can just achieve so much, like making big decisions, like moving to a scary city on, you know, when you're 24, it's a big deal. But I think 24 is a great age to move to London. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a good age. And I mean, I had, as soon as I got here, I was like, yeah, it was... I was just yeah had had lots of fun was just out a lot and enjoying the nightlife and then um and what were you doing for a job I was gonna say what were you doing were you in the clubs working um not exactly at that point I I started working for a DJ agency so I mean basically just because I wanted them to sign me at the time um, <laughs> because uh, yeah I mean I did, didn't really talk about DJing and stuff but I started DJing down in Torquay because um I would be going to this record shop called Sounds in Torquay and I'd be just be spending all my money on vinyl and then the owner of the record yeah. shop also owned a club so he gave me my first gig and then that was ah. yeah it was like got paid like 50 quid or something to go and play and I was playing like trance and techno um but like just loved it and then a couple of months after my very first gig Bacardi did a did like a national DJ competition so um so I entered that not really thinking too much about it because yeah I mean I'd only literally been DJing in clubs for like a month or something I ended up mm-hmm. like winning the heats like in the like region in the like local area then the regionals and then I ended up winning the like the whole national competition so that kind of gave me this boost of like oh great like you know I then maybe this is something I can, I can do, do yeah. this. but it, yeah. even then I don't think that I don't think I ever believed back then that it could be a career because I guess I was just like mm-hmm. this queer kid from a small town that you know there was not I didn't have any peers or anyone that was like doing that or it was just felt like such a pipe dream that I could ever you know, do that mm-hmm. as a career. But I mean, I it was always just something that I was just, you know, I was just obsessed by music and the way it made me feel. And I wanted to kind of bring that to other people. That was kind of like the, mm-hmm. where, like the base of it all. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, so yeah, that kind of gave me a bit, good bit of a boost. I started putting on some club nights in Torquay, but then it was really, mm-hmm. once I moved to London and I started working at that DJ agency, I ended up representing a guy called Larry T, who is mm-hmm. from New York club scene. He started Disco 2000 with Michael Alec. 
he's like was coined the term electro clash which is kind of like a bit of a nightlife icon in yeah. in new york so we ended up starting to put on club nights together in london so which is like and in london the queer scene when i first went there that was like i felt like okay like i've met my family like this is you know this is my scene this is where yeah I belong. this is where i belong yeah. full of like club kids and drag queens and club freaks and just huge amount of creativity and color everywhere and it was just like this is yeah this is this feels like home and what was it like being a promoter because i imagine it's stressful and was yeah. it a weekly event or was it a monthly thing the, so the first one was weekly so we just went straight in right. so it was that's a lot it's, yeah, yeah it's a lot that was when i first got to just only work in music though because i sort of then stopped working at the agency <laughs> then i well after maybe a few months because i think the first there was some really like ruling parties like you throw a night and it's like crickets there's no one there and you're just like it's the most soul destroying thing but you've got just yeah you just yeah. keep powering through you're just obviously mashing everyone hey come to my party <laughs> like i mean the amount of facebook invites i imagine you give out remember when everyone was big on the facebook yeah, invite yeah. like oh I'm going. Oh, such as such as that party. Yeah, I w- that was like a thing. <laughs> I would have been like the number one spammer, like 100%. But, <laughs> but that's it. You kind of, you know, you start chipping away at it. And then finally it gets to a point where it clicks. And then it's like, it was like the party like that everybody wanted to be at. And it was just, I mean, yeah. it was, it was magical. Like it was a really special time. And um, not only just because, you know, we started doing it because it was a space that we needed. It was like there was no underground queer party in East London playing the stuff that we wanted to hear. And, you know, so it felt like it was needed, especially something weekly. There might have been stuff that, you know, one off events here and there. So it became like a, yeah, it became like a proper family and really was like a place where we all kind of celebrated and supported each other, which I think was quite rare for queer spaces back then because, it yeah, it wasn't bitchy it wasn't you know it would genuinely it's like we wanted you know everyone there to like do well so yeah you just wanted to help each other out and just have a nice time and feel safe in that space and it's nice that it's a weekly thing because everyone you know if you've had a shit week you can just rely on okay we can go to this party on friday or saturday and feel like i'm with my family again. exactly yeah and it was that i mean you know it was because you especially in the queer scene it's like you make you it's because you know some kids you know, they don't get accepted by their family, they get kicked out. And yeah, it's so it's more than just going out and getting shit faced. It's, you know, it's a really, you know, you're, you're there and you're seeing your, it's like you're seeing your family almost. Yeah, definitely. Did you always want to be a DJ then? Was that always the dream? Well, I think I was just always obsessed with music and loved it and then loved how it made me mm-hmm. feel. So like, then I guess I, my next thing is I wanted to share that. But um, yeah, so kind of, yeah, I, I guess I did always want to do it once I'm, you know, once I got that one deck instead of those shoes. Once you got that one deck. No, no school uniform. <laughs> no school uniform. No, it's like ragged at school. Like <laughs> Last year's uniform, beans down it, commit. Holes everywhere, but like mix. literally spin backs for days. <laughs> Kickers falling apart. <laughs> literally, yeah. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. Okay, so is it What Club or What Club? Is that Yeah, yeah, What Club. Yeah, and that was at Dalston Superstar, and then you did Super Electric Party Machine. That was the one that you did with Lightning. So, yeah, so I did the one, did Super Electric Party Mm. Machine first, which is the weekly one, and then started um, What Club, which was 
but then that was kind of more curated and monthly. Um, and just as I started mm-hmm. that, Larry moved to Berlin to do to start his fashion label, Zhuzhi. So okay. I kind of then once he once he moved to Berlin, I just took it over and then started kind of started doing monthly parties and started sort of creating them a little bit more just to make things feel a bit more special and not just because because a weekly one it's like you know as soon as you finish as soon as you get up on monday from the one on friday you're just like you know you're straight into the next one it's not it's a, into the next it's, one, so you're yeah, just in a yeah. cycle but yeah so with the monthly one it just yeah. was a bit more space than the time to kind of plan start bringing in guests start um mm-hmm. just yeah just making things feel a bit more special um and then that kind of again it was though it was lots of colorful club kids and drag queens and um and at Dawson Superstore which is always just a riot I like I love, oh, I, love yeah. I love going in there yeah. I just have the best nights in there I just think it's wicked yeah it's such a fab venue and then from yeah. from there it kind of we just started doing parties all over London then um and then it became it kind of grew and grew until it became like it was like London's it was London Pride's official party on one year and that's and then we took it to milkshake festival which is the biggest queer festival in the world in amsterdam mm-hmm. which is an amazing festival you need to go by the way i need to go to that yeah, yeah. Um, and took over one of the main to go to that. took over one of the main stages took like 50 performers over it felt like we were doing some you know really good stuff that was i mean it was just a fucking riot as well it was amazing it was so much fun and then maybe a few years ago then i was kind of i was dabbling in production as well along the side along all of this journey but not you know, like not intensely. And then I think mm-hmm. probably about three years ago, I was just as what club had kind of like, you know, it was, it was kind of everywhere and I was having a moment. And then I was like, I love this. And I love that I'm able to create this space for everyone and that we are, you know, it, you know, it felt more than just a club night, but also I knew that music and making music was my real sort of goal and passion at that point. And then that's mm-hmm. when I like, took another leap and was like, okay, even though this is financially, you know, paying, you know, this is paying my rent, this this club night, I was like, no, I'm going to stop it. I'm going to dedicate all my time to making music and the Absolute Project. And then, you know, scary, like, especially when you're, you know, it's, it's a hustle in London yeah. and it's not, you know. Another massive decision that you made. Yeah, and then f- after that, that's when things really started sort of kicking into gear for, for the project as well. So it was, yeah, I mean, I'm, and when, when did Absolute start? When did you create Absolute? So it's probably about five years ago. And the reason it's called Absolute as well is because it's like, okay, I'm making a fucking determination here. Like, this is absolutely going to happen. Like, there's no plan B. I can't, you know, there's no alternative here. I need to just dedicate everything to this and just not take no for an answer and just hustle through and just until through every single hurdle, which there were a million, um, and just make it fucking happen. And then that's, yeah. Thankfully, that's actually what's happening. <laughs> you've made it happen. You have made it happen. Come on, you've smashed it. And do you know what? Sometimes, like, oh god, I've been through it. Not in like a, an artist kind of way, but as a presenter way. And you know, you do all these. You just you're hustling, you're hustling, you're hustling. And you're just like, oh my god, you get there, and then you get it, and it's like yes, and it takes a long time. But do you know what? It's fucking brilliant when you get it. So the best. Even just like, you know, yeah. being played on the radio, like, when you know, just especially on the Friday night show, like those things or like hearing someone play out your music in print works or when you're DJs and heroes that you look up to play your music, like those little things, just all these wins just kind of keep feeding the fruit. They keep fuel, yeah. fueling your fire to just keep pushing. 
Yeah. It's going to be amazing for you in the summer, you know, when everyone's at gigs playing your tracks and people tag you and Insta stories and stuff like that. That's like when you're going to be like, because <laughs> at the moment we're all at home still really I yeah. know we can go out to like sit down raves and stuff but we're all kind of experience our, experiencing our little highs but in the house so to be able to see people really connecting through events like that and have those moments that's going to be really exciting uh, for you yeah I can't wait yeah it's it's kind of weird as well because I guess um yeah, it's almost like, you you know, I've got all this music out. It's like, I don't even know if anyone, you know, is like, ooh, do people know me? Like, it's like... <laughs> yeah. Well, Pete Tong does. Because yeah. Pete, so Pete made your track, um, String Theory, his essential new tune, right? So that was yeah. last March. How did that feel like? What was the moment like? How did you feel when you got the call to say that was happening? Um, well, I started crying, <laughs> like, when I heard. Straight away. Especially, especially, I mean... Especially because it was Pete, that was a real full circle because, I mean, bear in mind, I would just be having one deck at home at my mum's house in my bedroom, <laughs> beat matching to Pete Tong. So literally, so then for him them to be played on that show as a central yeah. tune, it was like, I was like, I just didn't know what to do with myself. It was just like, I was just like pacing around. Like it was, I mean, it's just so incredible. It's like, you kind of feels like, these are your like dream moments. Were you on your own when you found out? Yes, I was on my own, just in the yeah. studio making music, just on my own. Which is like, to be honest, I feel like I've been in in my own self-imposed lockdown for the last like three years. Anyway, like I've just been literally like just <laughs> locked away in the studio. Um, so yeah, I was just just on yeah. my own. And then when my housemate came home, then it was like celebrations, champagne out on the balcony. Yeah, yeah. doing some high kicks. So definitely, there was lots yeah. of high kicks and twelves on the balcony that day. I want to talk about your record label, Family Planning. So tell me a little bit more about that because that was is what String Theory was released on, right? Yeah. So I put a few records out on um, Tiga's label, Turbo, which was um, that was another big moment because I just Tiga. I adore like musical hero and just like amazing guy um and then after that is kind of yeah when you're kind of on other people's timetables and stuff when you're releasing through other labels so the plan was just to yeah start something myself that I could just put out music as and when you know suited and the reason it was called family planning is I was thinking about it maybe being a club night as well but obviously that you know I wanted to focus on the, on the music so family planning came from the fact that you you know you make your family on the dance floor especially in the queer world um so that's kind of how how it started and then the when string theory happened it's like i i made the track kind of forgot about it to played it at a club once um on halloween and my manager was like what the fuck is this because it just like it just really went off and it's the first time anyone had even heard it so we we're like okay we'll, we'll put it out we put it out at the end of the year we asked some radio pluggers if they were wanted to get on board with it and they said no and then we were like really? so we just i just kind of put it out at the end of the year and just didn't really think much of it i was just like okay it's just the club track we'll just kind of you know keep things ticking over and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden yeah i get an email from pete to say that it's going to be essential new tune and then it just took on this huge life of its own it was just just went everywhere so it was just like it was really like obviously yeah surreal and but incredible at the same time yeah and it's just incredible that someone like pete he's got that pull right and and isn't it great that those promo you know those radio pluggers said no and then pete tongue's like (laughs) yeah that's it so it's like so i guess i'll have it (laughs) i guess it shows as well like you know if you've got a if you've got a solid track um even if you're starting out and you know you can you you things can happen still if the music's like if the music's firing 
definitely, definitely. Like there was an um, there's an artist um, who I discovered a couple of months ago called Anish Kumar, and I wanted to play one of his tracks on my show when I covered for Annie, but the, the show got cancelled because um, of Prince Philip died, oh. unfortunately. But I said to Sam, one of the producers, this kid's really good. And then he must have sent Sam another track. And then Annie made it a hottest record in the world last week. And he rang me up yesterday and was like, I've had all these offers from record labels and managers. Sarah, give me some advice. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And it just shows the power of like Annie and Pete. Yeah. It's just insincere. Huge. Especially now more than ever when we've been in lockdown. I think radio has just been such a necessary, you know, it's kind of re... Yeah just proven just how powerful and how needed it is it's that human connection isn't it every day like the first thing i do in the morning is put on the radio and that's because i just need that instant human connection it's like knowing that someone's there all the time it's that person that you can rely on even though you don't really know them it's like you know they're always there for you yeah well they become part like you know you just almost like you just feel like they're your mates don't they by the end of it like i guess that's what's i guess what's going to happen with you as well you're going to be on the radio every week you're going to be like (laughs) You're gonna be like everyone's sister, or like you know, or like your mate that you <laughs> your, your mate that you can't wait to go and have a little have a little party with. Oh, I hope I hope so. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. We need to talk about the mix mag cover because the mix mag cover was just it's just iconic. Like if if people listen and they haven't seen it, just go into Absolute's Instagram right now. It's your profile picture, isn't it? You look like a dance music angel slash god. It's like so iconic. Talk to me about that shoot. Was it loads of fun? It looks, it looked loads of fun. Uh, it was, yeah. I mean, that was another one where I cried as soon as when I heard that was happening. But um, yeah, the the shoot day was. It was a, like the favorite shoot that I've ever done. Actually, it was just like that. Everyone there was like amazing. Sam, who who shot it, was just insanely talented. Um, and I had like a couple of friends doing like hair and makeup. Just like the energy and just like the vibe on the day was was incredible. Um, Mm-hmm. Got some some gorgeous clothes from yeah the stylist pulled in some amazing looks and then I was kind of just like the the whole set that you see there was built so there was not really any after effects or anything so there was like this huge humongous glitter ball that was kind of that was like shone a light on and then it just looked like it was the heavens opening and then they were blowing all this yeah. smoke under and then I had to kind of keep jumping up and down and try and get this like to get this like levitating shot but it was it was just, like a really special moment. And um, it was always something that in my head, I was like, I'm going to be on the cover of Mixmag. Like that's, I knew that that would happen at some point in my head, but I just didn't think that it would happen so soon. And like, you know, and especially like during lockdown, it was a, it was, it was a weird one because obviously it was, I'm so grateful. I loved it. It was incredible. And then I was like, oh, but now I want to go and like, you know, we should be celebrating with everyone. Like I want to go and see all my mates. I want to like, you know, just have a, have a moment with everyone. And then, so yeah, but then you couldn't do that part of it. So there's good. There's lots yeah. of um, additional celebrations to come once once everything's yeah, open. It really is. There really is. Yeah, I love that cover. I think it was it was just brilliant. I love the shoot. It was a great read. Um, and yeah, I think like I feel like you know from getting to know you, you are one of these people a bit like me that you kind of have a vision and you manifest and you believe right. I'm gonna do this and you did it. You believed I'm gonna have. I'm gonna be on the front cover of Mixmag and and it happened. Is that just is that how you've always lived your life? I've always been a dreamer. I guess I've always, um, I think the, just mm-hmm. the biggest thing for me is just like actually just, you know, really believing it, like believing in yourself and knowing that you can do this because, you know, whatever you, if you really believe in yourself, like you can do anything. Like it's, 
you can you just got to believe in yourself and just never ever ever give up and that's you know i'm so determined there's so many things that i'm just now like trying to just keep laser focus and but yeah manifest 100 percent like manifest and the only thing that's holding you back is you right literally yeah that's it and you know that's often your biggest hurdle is yourself so just don't but it's just but also it's hard especially when you're doing something creative and you're putting yourself out there it's like if you're having a shit day or something and then you still gotta like you know just feel like happy and high energy or try and push forward or do something creative it's like can be a lot so it's like you just got uh, yeah, yeah yeah it is it is a lot and overthinking i'm an overthinker yeah. i overthink everything like my manager's just like will you stop overthinking this like i think that's because you, i like to be a bit of a perfectionist probably like you so that's why you're always thinking about overthinking stuff what challenges have you faced in the music industry if any oh yeah i mean lots of no's that mm-hmm. like 100 percent um and i guess it's you know people wanted to take a chance on you you just got to keep it's it's just just keep going and going and going go through all of the no's because eventually you're going to get some yeses that's so true you probably get 10 no's to one yes right yeah that's it and then the balance will start yeah. tipping and then people will start asking you and then you know then the offers start coming in the other way around <laughs> like, like... <laughs> oh you again well, <laughs> too busy <Yeah. laughs> big time now <laughs> where were you two years ago you bastard <laughs> <laughs> That's so true, though. That is so true. But just, yeah, and being kind as well. Like, I mean, you know, just being fucking kind to people, that's a big thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because you never know who, you know, everyone you meet up, you meet on the way down, right? So just be nice to everybody. Exactly. Don't be a dick. Yeah, don't be a dick and Um, be kind. They're two life mottos. (laughs) Who do you look up to in the industry? Tiga, I look up to, for sure. Just for, like, Mm -hmm. for so many reasons. Just as, like... You know, his music taste, his, um, like, his visual identity, his his just vibe. I just, yeah, I love Tiga. I love that, um, I love people that, um, I love people like Chemical Brothers. Growing up, I loved, like, Daft Punk um, and Thomas Bangletare and The Prodigy. Like, mm. I, they're, like, I feel like my earlier inspirations are one that kind of, they stick with me more, I guess, because you're in your formative mm. years. But, um, yeah, those are people that I, yeah, really look up to. And I, I think... I really respect people who like say like the Daft Punk homework album where I mean I remember when I was a teenager hearing that and just was just like blown away and I was like I'm gonna write a dance album when I heard that I was like I know I'm gonna do that and I think what I love about those artists is just always having integrity in all of what you do whether it's something that's just really underground or something that's you know something that can cross over just having that musical integrity and like an authenticity is something that I look up to. Massively. I remember speaking to Lala about this and we just said, you know, the best thing you can be is authentic. That's what everyone's looking for, right? Yeah. Authenticity. It's the most powerful thing. Yeah, for sure. And the most valuable thing. Yeah. I'm, I yeah. remember even just like trying to like dim down a little bit and like just try and be like lower energy or like, you know, more reserved or like, you know, more serious. It's like, but that's not authentically who I am. Like I am high yeah. energy. Like I am going to be like having like, as much fun as I possibly can when I'm DJing like even though I'm playing serious music like I'm I'm you know we're there to have fun it's like it's not a serious yeah. thing so and then I kind of just came to the decision it's like if I want to like scream and twirl and do a high kick then if that's what I'm feeling at the time then that's what I'm gonna do yeah no it's good that you like that and I think that just comes with age doesn't it I've been through phases where I'm loud and leery and I'm like god I should really calm myself down yes. 
I actually stopped drinking for six weeks for Lent when I was like, I think I was like 23 <laughs> or 24. And um, I did it. I did it. Didn't have much fun. <laughs> but I mean, it wasn't like I had a problem or anything. It was just more like, you know, you go on a night out and you'd be a bit leery. And I was just like, oh, I need to calm myself down and I need, need to be a little bit quieter on nights out. And I'm just no, like, that's not who I no. am. No, I think that's why we gravitate towards each other because we are both like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. And that's it. But then that's that's what you do. You find your tribe that of people that are like that. You don't worry about the people that, you know, don't get it. You you gravitate towards mm. the people that, you know, that do. Like get you don't it. ever do yourself for anyone. Yeah. Who are you loving at the moment? Like new artists, who are you loving? Oh yeah, who am I loving? It's a good question. I really like India Jordan. I think they're amazing. Yes. Um, yes. Dance system, I love, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's a, that's a really good question. I feel like, unless I've got my iTunes in front of me, I like sometimes can't remember. <laughs> but those guys, for sure, I'm really liking. Barry Can't Swim. I yes. think he's great. He's really sweet as well. Lala, of course. Uh, but on, yeah. a, on a DJ tip. She's amazing. Yeah, there are people that I'm, I'm, re- I'm enjoying a lot at the moment. That you're rating? Yeah. Okay, fab. All right, this is a really tough question. Favourite dance track of all time? Oh, that is so hard. I think maybe we'll... I think I probably have to go with, like, Thing from S-Express just because it was the tune in my youth that just, you know, exploded, like, in, in my eardrums with these majorettes. And it was, like, that kind of just put... And for ages, that was my favourite tune. I wouldn't say it's definitely my favourite tune now, but it was probably been my favourite tune for longest because often my mind changes a lot on on tunes that you love, like weekly, especially if you're when you're discovering new music and you're playing stuff out a lot. It's like, yeah, it, it you've got a turnover. But I think that's probably been the tune that I've loved for the longest. I mean, it's a tune. It's a tune. <laughs> I love that. I've not heard that in the club for years. Yeah. I'm really excited. Can you can you play that, please? Yeah. <laughs> Let's stick it on in a minute. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're going to do a really quick fire round. So you just don't think about this. Just just say it cool. straight away, right? Okay. But this is, this is, I really like doing this because we get to know you really fast, even more than we already do. Cool. Okay. Are you ready for a bit of this or that? I'm very ready. House or disco? <gasps> oh, house. Summer or winter? 100% summer. Like, I want constant summer. <laughs> Me too. Um, studio session or DJing at a big festival? I mean, I love both and get different things from both of them, but I love being around people and I love, like, the energy and interacting with the crowd and feeling the energy of everyone, so it's got to be festival. Okay. Festival or dirty rave? Oh, dirty rave, I think. Yeah. <laughs> you, can get, you can get grimy. Yeah. Love or money? Oh, love. Ah, the 80s or the 90s? Ooh, that's good. Let's go with the 80s. It's more camp. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ibiza or Berlin? Um, Ibiza. It's just got a magic, hasn't it? Even like, even if you don't go to a single club, just being there, it's just got a, like a magic. I'm happy to just go, go in a villa and hang out with my mates and party in a villa there. Yeah. But, so yeah, so I think Ibiza and it's sunnier. Wine or spirits? Ooh, wine. And being single or being in a relationship? Being single. I'm married to my I'm married to my music. <laughs> like especially right now. <laughs> there's no I'm just like one track mind until I'm like yeah. where I want to be fully. Then um yeah. Then then we can yeah. then we okay. can think about it. <laughs> What's the best piece of advice that you've been given relating to your career? 
be kind and never give up. And is that exactly what you would say to someone if they asked you? Is that exactly what you would say? It, it probably, yeah. I mean, I would definitely take that on. Like attitude and gratitude, two things that will get mm-hmm. you really far. But yeah, be kind, work hard, have the right attitude and be grateful. And what's next for you in 2021? Apart from the gigs, what else Ooh, can we expect? Yeah, well, there's plans for album number two, <laughs> uh, which will be like Amazing. a full artist album. Um, so lo- lots of music. I've got... Um, some really exciting gigs coming up that I, I just cannot wait to get out there. So it's um it's obviously we've been locked away for so long. So there's the fact that there's any that you know to go and do gigs and then some of them are just you know some dream gigs. So yeah, I'm going to be playing a lot throughout. From I think there's like dots you know as things are still kind of creeping in, but then some from sort of September onwards it's kind of just like all guns blazing. Crazy. Are we allowed to talk about some of those gigs or the kind um, of under wraps for now? I'm playing <clears throat> Warehouse Project. Um, I do, Amazing. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that yet, but um, yeah, I'm playing Warehouse Project for um, Animax, so that will be fun. Some <clears throat> international festivals. Uh, we've got some, just, what else? Yeah, I mean, I feel like every single, like in, every day there seems to be something new coming in where it's, mm-hmm. I'm just like <gasps> excited by. I'm playing with um, Morgrab and Ketama at... Um, hideout festival which would be to be good and then i've got stuff in yeah there's just god just trying to remember it all there's there's so much it's it's, it's amazing i can't fucking wait <laughs> yeah in fact you can't wait to just get out there and not have to dj in your bedroom oh my god i mean i mean i'm 100 just going to be crying throughout the whole first gig like i just like know it's coming <laughs> but and also i mean you know what my energy energy levels are like when i'm out anyway like the first gig back, I'm just like, watch out. I'm just going to be like, a, just a natural tornado, just like whizzing around the club, probably doing about 50 yeah. spin backs in my set. So watch out. You're going to be like the mask, aren't you? You know, when yeah. he just like runs around that club, oh, yeah, just like going crazy. Yeah. That's literally that's my spirit you. animal. He's almost like, my hair's almost like his face as well. Somebody stop it. <laughs> no one will be able to. So good luck to them if they try. <laughs> And finally, if you could go to any club in the world tonight, doesn't have to exist Ooh. anymore, where would it be? Oh, do you know what? It'd probably be, it'd definitely be somewhere in New York, in uh, either the Paradise Garage or maybe, do you know, probably Studio 54, just because it, it's just iconic and it would just be, you know, hanging out with like Divine or Grace Jones and just having, just being dead fab. Like that's like what would be so fun. I mean, that's, that is it, isn't yeah. it? Just dead. <laughs> like that would just be yeah. I think I just watched um Halston, so that made me like. And there's lots of scenes in there when it was like at this peak. Right. Thank you so much, Absolute. It's been a pleasure talking to oh, you. Likewise. Oh, and I'm so excited for the summer for you. Like 2021, it's going to be Absolute 2021. It's your year, babe. I'm ready. I'm ready. Yes. And it's yours too. Everything's kicking off with you. We're going to be like fly, oh. flying high together. We're going to be like the mask. <laughs> yeah, literally. The that's... Together, just like, <laughs> crazy. I can't wait. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. Massive thanks to Absolute. Make sure you check out his new album, Wonderland, and tickets for his Islington show are on sale now. Go and get some. Don't forget to give me a follow on Instagram. It's Sarah, my story, to keep up to date with all my future guests. See you next time.